Michael Buble, Come Dance With Me. You know, it got me thinking this morning as I was thinking about that song. Who are you dancing with? Who are you dancing with? Who are you doing life with? You know, we, we live in a world that's constantly seducing us spiritually. Come dance with me. Or, this morning you might be saying, it's been so sweet to dance with Jesus. And so I hope this morning that is your song. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 is going to speak about who are we dancing with? Are we dancing with a world system as believers or are we dancing with the love of the Father? A Father who has given of himself, of his very self, in Jesus Christ. You know, we've been looking at uh, 1 John, and again, if you're here for the first time, uh, 1 John is towards the latter part of the Bible, and we've been looking at some markers. You see, 1 John was written to assure us as believers of the love that we have in Christ, of the saving work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And we've seen several markers. In chapter 1, we've been looking at uh, what you think of Jesus. If Jesus is just a another good teacher or, or just a way to get to heaven, where that's, that's not what John is speaking of. But what John speaks of in chapter 1 is if, if, if you have uh, experienced Jesus, if you know that you know, not only intellectually, but in your heart, who Jesus is, then you're going to see him for who he is, that he is holy, that he is God, and that he is one that transforms life to the point that it starts affecting your behavior. It starts affecting how you view life and how you do life. It starts affecting how you love one another in the world and in the church. It starts affecting how you view yourself. That you're a sinner who is not called a beloved child of God. Not because you've been good, but because he's been good and perfect for you. So we can come and confess. And lastly, we're going to see here in chapter 2 how following Jesus is also going to entail not having a lust for the world, but rather a love for it. Now, if you're taking notes, the main idea this morning out of 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 is this. Loving Christ means not lusting after the things of this world, but rather doing God's will out of love for him. That's what John is going to be speaking to us this morning about. That loving Christ means not lusting after what we have around or a system that permeates it, but rather doing God's will out of a love for him. Let's read together 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And if you have your Bibles in front of you, I'm going to ask that we read it together. Is that cool? 1 John 2, 15 through 17. So, but I'm going to ask that we read it out loud together. Is that also cool? All right. I'm going to start us off and then we'll, we'll read it together. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, Father, I pray that you would help us see your heart and your word clearly so that we might see, Lord, not only what you have in store for us, but so that we might continue to hold on to the work that you're doing in us in Christ. Thank you that you're a God of 
redeeming things. And the God of not only shedding your blood for us, but through that blood making things last forever. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. So verse 15, what is John saying there? You know, have you, have you heard of the verse John 3.16? Actually, the Apostle John also wrote that verse in the Gospel of John. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world. But wait a second. Do not love the world? What is John talking about here? Is he, is he having a, uh, uh, schizophrenic episode? No, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, John is very clear in what he's saying. And he's writing this to the church in saying, there is a love that you should not have. As you're loving Jesus and you're loving one another, make sure that you do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, I want us to look at what he doesn't mean first and then what he does mean. See, he doesn't mean that we should not love the created order. John is not saying, don't love the created order that God has put together. Don't enjoy it. There are many people who would say that enjoying that which God has created, nature, sex, food, Beauty is not of God. As a matter of fact, that there should be a clear dichotomy between science and God or the arts and God. But this is not what John is saying. See, God, when he, he established his creation, he didn't just establish it, he, he blessed it. He blessed the physical world by saying this is good. And then placed Adam and Eve on it. And he said, enjoy it. Care for it. He gave them a cultural mandate. And even though in Genesis 3 we see how sin crept in, God doesn't disown and say, well, forget about the created order. No, he establishes a plan in motion to restore all things to the person of Jesus Christ, his very self. To the point where we know that in Romans chapter 8, verse 21, speaking of when Christ reigns in righteousness and peace, Paul says, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So this is not what John is, is speaking of. You know, when John says, do not love the world, he's not saying, do not love uh, the created order or, or, or enjoy it. He's also not saying that we should hate societal or economic structures, politics, government, business and economics, Hollywood and industry, that as Christians we should abstain from that. He's not speaking of that. He's also not saying that we should hate culture, that we shouldn't go to movies, that we shouldn't dance, that we shouldn't listen to Michael Buble, or play cards or dominoes or... Uh, I was, I was, I was reading the other day, uh, a book that, that, that began going on this vein of, uh, you know, there, there, there are certain beats that you shouldn't listen to because they call out on Satan. Like if there was a divine beat and it only rang or sounded like this. <laughs> now you can add the gospel to salsa. Trust me. <laughs> But it says here, and Jesus speaks of this, doesn't he? In, in, in Matthew chapter 5, he addresses this. He says, as Christians, um, as he's building and establishing this kingdom here on earth uh, that will impact every crevice of our world, he says, you, if you're a follower of mine, you are the light of the world. A city, a kingdom, a people group with its own values and culture a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. 
and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Also, Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, where he says, so whether you eat or drink, basically, as you live your life, anything that you do, do it all for whose glory? For God's glory. John is also not saying, and I hope we don't fall into this, do not love the people in the world. And we just finished praying for those who are very close to us and very dear to us. And let me tell you something, that too, praying for those who don't know Christ, also breaks the heart of God. He also longs for those who don't know Christ, who don't have a relationship with Him. He also longs for that. He longs to have that relationship with them. God made all peoples of the world. All peoples bear His image because they're part of the Creator. As a matter of fact, the Scriptures tell us that that the crown work of God's creation. When God made Adam and Eve, He didn't just say they were good. He said they were what? They were very good. God showed off when He made humanity. And Jesus, we see God in the flesh, Jesus befriending sinners. See a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We see a Jesus who, even though there were some ethnic, religious, and even moral tensions, he asks her for water, a woman at the well. He befriends her for a time period. And then just as we had spoken earlier, You see, a God who, not only through the person of Jesus Christ, but through scriptures tells us that he loves the nations. He loves the world. John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. This is how much God loves the world, that he gives. He gives something which is of himself. That whoever believes in him, not a very specific group of ethnic people, or of social class people, or of people who live in a specific region in the globe, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And then John tells us in this very same letter, which we heard not too long ago, He, Jesus, is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is about saving people from every part of our community. Every part of our nation. No matter if they're legal or illegal. That's besides the point. Jesus loves people. Jesus loves the world. We must love the world because God loves the world. But what does then the world do not love the world or the things in the world mean? What is John getting to here in 1 John chapter 2? Well, John is speaking here of a system. There is a worldly system that goes completely against what God being light stands for. It, there, there, there's values, there's, there's, there's ideas, there's, uh, there's lifestyles that the world system says, this is how you need to live in order to have your deepest desires met, that God says, no, you don't. See, Jay Mahaney would put it this way, do not live your life, basically, under the organized system of human civilization. Because this system is organized and is put in place to actively be hostile to God and alienate us from Him. So this is John's first explicit command. And he gives it to the church. And he says, church... This is one thing you first of all got to be careful with. 
As a matter of fact, it's a warning. Do not love the world or the things in it. You see, there were some Christians in, in that time in the church who were starting to become too cozy with the church, with, with the culture. They were starting to become uh, so cozy with the world system that they were not only rubbing shoulders with them, but they were shacking up with them. They were compromising the gospel. They were compromising what Jesus stood for. They were compromising the change that they had experienced and adopting other values. They were basically saying through their actions, Jesus and his work is insufficient. And what this world offers is better. At the end of the day, it's better. What John is saying is that we can't love the Father who is strongly opposed to a world system that is against him and still say, I'm walking with Jesus. I'm walking with God. You can't love God and love what is not of God. The works of Jonathan Edwards in his religious affections, he puts it this way, true religion in great part consists in holy affections. If your heart is cold toward the Father and captivated by the glitz of the world, you then deep down inside need to ask yourself, do I belong to the Father or do I belong to the world? So John is writing this and he's warning the church because there are some who are coming too close to really just, there isn't any difference between them and a system that's opposed to God. But he also writes these words, I believe, because he knows our hearts. He knows the heart of mankind, that we are lovers, that we love all the time. I mean, listen, we, we love on people, don't we? We love to receive love. We love places. We love things. We love coffee. I, I, was, I, was, I was having a conversation with, with Joy the other day. We went out, and, and Joy was telling me the world of coffee. I had fallen in love with, with uh, excuse me. I had fallen in love with Cafe Bustelo. <laughs> Joey was telling me, Jorge, there's a world out there besides Cafe Bustelo of coffee. And I saw his eyes get, <laughs> I mean, he was excited <laughs> and he hadn't drank coffee. <laughs> so we love things. You might love great food. You might love going to a great play. You might love working hard. You might love being at Punta Cana. Bill and Christine, if you're listening to this message. So he knows we love. And this is the thing. God created us to love. We were hardwired by God to love. So we give love. We receive it. And he's made us this way so we might find our ultimate love met in him. The fulfillness of what we long for, of what we desire met in his love. But we know what sin has cost. And sin dwells and resides within each and every one of us. Sin has separated us from loving God. And it's left us wanting. It's left us desiring. It's left us suffocating, longing to, to, to again experience the love of our Creator. The love of a Father. And so we naturally pursue lovers. We naturally pursue things around us, people around us, looking to have that void, that need, those innate desires met. And so the enemy knows this. The enemy is trying all he can with a worldly system 
to not only distract us from a father's love, but to say all that you need, those natural desires that have been placed in you by God to have connected with him, guess what? This world system can offer that. And he often reveals it not in a way that is damaging, not in a way that's corrosive. He normally shows the bling bling, doesn't he? He shows it to be paradise. He shows it to be, this could be your happy place. Or this could be your happy someone. If you can just have that. John says, you know these innate desires to love that you have. They're natural. They're not inherently evil. The desire that you have to have a family, the desire that you have to have a spouse, the desire that you have to, 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 to receive a good education and, 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 and to even have a good job and to make an impact in the world, those desires are not inherently bad or evil. But those desires become evil when they are not directed to God or by God. This sin which resides in us, church, doesn't create in us any new desires. Rather, it twists and deforms our innate desires so that we become controlling or must have desires contrary to God and His will. And again, Satan knows that. And he will use the world system to incite, to entice the sinner. Those natural desires in a way that displeases God. And ultimately, will dissatisfy you and I. So John shows us what this world system looks like. And he does it with three characteristics. In verse 15 on to 16, he says, The things of this world... And then he says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, in other words, the possessions and the titles, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And here he begins to, to unpack for us this seduction of the world, what it looks like with its empty promises. You know, this is, here he's, he's alluding to Satan's old school tricks. This is, this is ancient old school for Satan. He has, as a matter of fact, practiced these same characteristics of what it is to, to uh, love the world in Genesis chapter 3, which if you have your Bibles, from 1 to 6, we see him use these same characteristics on Adam and Eve. I'm going to go ahead and read this for you because you'll see how he tries to entice the heart and the desires of Adam and Eve. It says here that now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then notice here the three weapons. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, we see the desires of the flesh. And that it was a delight to the eyes, the desires of the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband with her and he ate. So here John is saying, this is what a world system will do. 
Okay, and the first characteristic is try to entice the desires of the flesh, of your flesh. In other words, the principle is, it's going to try to tell you and sell you, live life dominated by your cravings. By your cravings. Not God's will. Listen, we know we adopt this principle when we overly desire that which is good. When we overly desire the good things and then we lust after them to the point where if we don't obtain them, our life falls apart. So there's nothing wrong, for example, with food. But to live for food, we become gluttons. And the world system, as it says, obey your thirst, just obey it. It would not only tell you there's a section of one small section in the aisle of potato chips. <laughs> no, listen, it'll say there's a full aisle of potato chips. Eat all you want. It don't matter. Fixate yourself on your desire to eat. Or sex. There's nothing wrong with sex. It was a gift that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. And he gives to every man and woman in matrimony. He wants us to enjoy his creation of sex. But if we live for sex, we become sexually immoral. And the world system says, listen, feed and obey your thirst. And it'll tell us of a multi-billion dollar business of pornography. It'll try to sell you things that are sexually immoral to say, if you could just have this, then you'll have your desires met. Or pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. But if we live for pleasure, we become slaves to, pressure, to pleasure. And so the world will say, obey your thirst. Okay? Do what makes you happy. Do what makes you happy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Paul tells us of the danger of living for the desires of the flesh. And he tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 20, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. That's together with sexual immorality, huh? Fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, who have such lifestyle, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because they are not of God. And then he goes on to say, what is the fruit of what? The Spirit. Which we looked at last week is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that's the desires or the lusts of the flesh. The world system says, feed your appetite. But then John also says desires or the lust of the eyes, which the principle of the world is live life desiring what you see. Live life desiring what you see. Listen, you see the, the car that you, you'd love to have? Go and fetch it. You know, you see the, this, 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 this multi-million dollar home? Get it. Do whatever you need to do to get it. You long to have that man or that woman, even though they're married? Pursue it. And oftentimes what you see is just the shell of, again, a bling bling of something shiny but inside is putrid inside is hollow and empty we're captivated 
by superficiality. And sometimes we don't even know it. Forgetting or even not even thinking about what may be underneath. The eyes, the Bible tells us, are not necessarily evil. As a matter of fact, God made it. God made the eyes and the ears, Proverbs 20 tells us. But it's where temptation comes in. Temptation comes in through the eyes. And there's where sin can be enticed to sin in us. Matthew 6, 22, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, what's going to happen? Your whole body will be full of light. And in Matthew 5, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who flirts with a woman, who talks with a woman, no, who just looks at a woman lustfully, with a lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. So the world tells us, look at beauty, but forget character. Look at, look at status. Look at fame, but forget integrity. It sells us a system that goes completely against God and what he stands for. But then he also speaks, John speaks of, of the pride of life. The pride of life. So not only the desire of the flesh and the desire or the lust of the eyes, but the world system is characterized by the pride of life as well. And its principle is boast of what you have or do. Boast of it. Forget God has done it. Forget it's His grace in your life. Boast it. You strapped yourself up by the bootstraps. You worked hard. You did the right things to amount to what you have. Flaunt it. Hey, and if you look down at anybody else, pray for them. Maybe they might too work hard enough. It totally disregards grace and the work and the glory of God. And we know we adopt this when we seek when we seek our sense of worth and what we've done, we, we pursue better careers so that we might have a better name. Or we do more good deeds so that hopefully not only others can approve of us, but maybe God can approve of us. A.W. Tozer in his work, The Pursuit of God, pens these words. There is within the human heart a tough, fibrous, root of fallen life whose nature is to possess always to possess it covets things with a deep and fierce passion the pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print but their constant and universal is use is significant they express the real nature of the old Adamic man better than a thousand volumes of theology could. They are, listen to this, they are verbal symptoms of our deep disease. The roots of our hearts have grown down into things and we dare not pull up one rootlet lest we die. Things have become necessary so necessary to us. A development never originally intended. God's gift now take the place of God and the whole curse of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. This is the pride of life. At the center of it, it's me and what I've done. And John says, that's how we know we're falling in line 
with a system opposed to God. When at the end of the day is feed me see more, <laughs> what would I like to get? And look what I've done. So what's our cure for worldliness? Because let me just rewind a little bit. I think we've all been here, right? We've all been here. Even for those who are of the body of Christ, we use our tongue to glorify God and then we cut one another. And we say, oh, I love drinking from the sweet water of the fountain of God. And yet we drink from the salt cistern. Or we say one thing, then if we really are honest with ourselves, we function under a different grid. Not a gospel grid, but a worldly grid. And if I could just have that, or feed this, or look what I've done, I will be happy. My desires will be fully met. And God is saying, have I not revealed to you Jesus? Have you not heard what the apostles have said? Have you not experienced his goodness and the light of his very presence? Have you not seen and touched and smelled the goodness of being in, 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 in the throne room of God? Not coming as a perfect individual or as a perfect child, but knowing that you are being cleansed day in and day out, every hour, every second, by the blood of Jesus under every crevice of flesh that wants to come out. For honest with ourselves, we too struggle with the world system and falling in line with it. And John is saying, children, beware. Don't love the world. These are the manifestations of it. These are the traits. But then he gives us a cure. He gives us a cure for worldliness. He says in verse 17, and the world is passing away along with his desires. He's saying, listen, what you're seeing, what you think is going to meet your needs and your desires, even your boasting, that's going to pass away. It, it, it's, it's like picking up what you think is gold and it's really sand and then it just falls from your hands. It's going to, it's going to pass. That person that you thought was going to to meet your deepest needs and longings to be loved is going to die or may leave you one day. That house that you thought, man, if I could just have that, I'll be set, can burn up in a second and you not have any control over it. You can lose your job tomorrow. You can lose the respect of people if that's what you long for. So he says, the world is passing away with its desires. These things are like darkness fleeing. But whoever does the will of God, he says, abides forever. What's the cure? This is going to sound weird. But the cure, according to verse 17, is two-prong. And right here we see it first as just simply doing the will of God. What is John saying here? Wait a second. Is this, is this a work-based? <laughs> like salvation or... Or is this how we get back on track? That we got to work our way back on track? What are you saying, John? Well, doing the will of God is not living under the world system that's passing away. 
I mean, why invest in it, right? If you know a home is going to burn down in a year, why are you going to invest all your money in it and not have insurance? Doing the will of God is not only not investing in the world, in a system that is corroding, but living in response to the Father's love, obeying His commands. It's living in response to the Father's love, obeying His commandments. You see, to experience the love of the Father in verse 15, when we experience the Father's love, we're going to want to do what He commands, verse 17. When we, when, when we put it side to side, a system of the world that's opposed to God, or receiving the love of the Father, we're going to see the love of the Father is way much better than living in something that's against it. And not only will we see it, but we'll say, this is going to drive me to want to please my Father, to want to live for my Father, to not want to live for myself, but to bring my Father glory, to bring my God glory. First John chapter 5, verse 3. I'm going to give you a sneak peek into what John says in chapter 5. He says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. If we live by His commandments, they will be burdensome. But if we live by the love of God, we're going to want to obey His commandments. Which brings me to say, did you know that doing the will of God will also strengthen your love for God? Doing the will of God will also strengthen your love for God. Jesus taught this. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, if you experience my love, you're going to want to reciprocate that back and just do what I tell. But then look at what he says. In John 15, John writes these very words too. He says, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. So Jesus is saying something cyclical. He's saying, what's going to drive you to live for me in the midst of darkness is my love for you. And what's going to, to as you experience my love for you, this is going to drive you to want to live for me and follow me and my commandments. And the more you do that, because you love me, the more you follow my commandments, you know what's going to happen? You're going to remain in my love. You're going to love me even more. You're going to see that my commandments are not burdensome, but that they're actually good. And you're going to be able to rejoice in them. Because they're actually freeing. They're a picture of not only my heart, but my love for you. And John here is saying that this world is not eternal, is passing away. And its desires are too fleeting. He alludes to us again to something that is consistent. And it's what? He says, listen, look at God. Set your, set your desires on a new object. Look at God. Look at the way God has overcome the world. Look at what he offers instead in the person of Jesus. It is Jesus Christ who can reorient our desires. It is Jesus Christ who, who, who takes our desires, our innate desires, and, 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 and instills in him, in us himself, but also drives us to live for him. St. Augustine said, Jesus became temporal so that you might partake of eternity. It is Jesus, the second Adam, who alone conquered Satan, this worldly system, and every temptation that we could encounter. 
He, he did it in the wilderness. You remember in, in Luke chapter 4? When, when, when Satan tried to put out his old school tricks again, the traits of the world system. And, 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 and he tells Jesus as, 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 as he's in the desert, hey, Jesus, you know, you need to tell this stone to become bread. In other words, you got the lust of the flesh. Meet it. You're hungry. There's nothing wrong with that. And then he also told them, he, he, he showed them all the kingdoms of the world. This meeting, the lust of the eyes. And then the devil took him to Jerusalem, and then he set him on top of, 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 of the temple. And then he said to him, Jesus, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He was tempting him with the pride of life. And so Jesus went through the same temptations that you and I go through, but he overcame them. Jesus never sinned. He didn't sin while he was on earth. Even in his ministry, he lived for God's glory and not his own. Regarding possessions, Matthew 8 tells us that he had no place to lay his head. Regarding his pride in people, it was said of him that he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Regarding his intellect, as the Father teaches me, he says, so I say these things. And regarding the pride and self-will, he said towards the end of his life before he went to the cross, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me, but let not my will, but let your will be done. Jesus not only sets us an example by overcoming Satan in the wilderness and then throughout his ministry, but then he becomes our example and our enabler. Church, he becomes our enabler at his death and resurrection. He looked at the Father and saw his perfect love. How he, how he came to us, he died for us. And while we were his, his blatant enemies, he not only called those to himself as he was at the cross, looking to forgive them, looking to restore them, looking to justify them. And not just forgive and justify, but looking to unite us back to our creator. That's the life that Jesus lived. That John is, is so excited to share about. This Jesus is, is the only one that can forgive. He's the only one that can justify. And he's the only one that can unite you back to your creator and have your desires fulfilled. Have your love complete. And have it complete in him. The work of Jesus frees us to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we look upon his work in the gospel and then do the will of God. So this morning, I finish with the same question. Who are you dancing with? Do you believe that the love of the Father shown in the person of Jesus can meet all your desires and needs? That you don't need to be justified in the things of this world, but that Jesus has fully justified you so that you can now live for him in this world? Will you let that truth Lead the dance. Let's pray. As you pray, I'm going to ask the uh, elders to come forward and those who will help us serve communion. Lord, we confess that our hearts are prone to wondering. Our hearts are, are prone to, to getting cozy and and Lord, to, 
seeking to find that which you've given us in Christ with a world system that's opposing you. Father, thank you that you've given us everything that, you, that we need in Jesus Christ. Thank you that only he can fulfill our longings. Thank you that those desires that you have placed within us, to have them be absorbed into your love and compassion for us, can only be met with how you took the first step in Jesus Christ in depicting and showing your love for us. Lord, teach us how to live in faith in that truth. And Lord, help us to celebrate it. That as we remember Jesus Christ's death, that as we see how and, and remember how he came fully man and fully God, bleeding the same blood we bleed, but yet taking our punishment, our guilt upon the cross and bearing the same flesh that we do, but yet living not by the flesh, but for your glory. Thank you that his work is imputed and placed in us. And so by faith, yes, we confess, but we hold on to you, Jesus. Because you are not only making us right, you're not only saving us, but you're making this world right. And we, your people, get to join you in that. But as we celebrate you, as we observe what you've done for us, have everything else dim, and you be our focus.